What's up, fam? How are you guys doing today? Hey, it's a beautiful Sunday, is it not? Yes. My gosh, it's wonderful. Hey, before I get going, I just want to say we have the best pastor in the world. Pastor Stan, appreciate you. Love you so much. Give him a round of applause. He's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm so thankful that you would have me uh, up here today and sharing from your pulpit. I am so, so thankful, Pastor. So thank you for believing in me and uh, opening up this opportunity for me today. I really, really appreciate it. Hopefully I don't let you down. Um, anyways, no, I'm just kidding. I, I am, I'm excited. I'm excited to share this morning. Um, what I want to do is I want to take a broad or a, a, a general look at a topic today. Uh, it's something that's been on my heart lately, and I started praying about, all right, God, what do you want me to share? What am I going to be preaching on? Pastor talked to me a couple weeks ago. I said, okay. Uh, and, and I just kept on getting drawn to this story. Uh, and it's the battlefield of insecurity. And I think that every single one of us in this room at one point or another has dealt with insecurity. And if you think you haven't dealt with insecurity, you're probably the one who's dealing with it the most. Um, but but I, th I think every single one of us deal with this. And so I'm going to go through this today and do my absolute best to make a general approach to insecurity. Uh, I really feel like I've studied a whole lot for this sermon because I, I started looking into psychologists and therapists because I was like, man, if this is something that I believe that we all deal with, I want to really make sure I know what I'm talking about. Um, so I'm coming today with a general approach uh, to insecurity and how we can overcome um, so I'm going to walk us through four things in a little bit here Four, uh, I call it the spiral of insecurity. And we're going to walk through those four points today. Um, I think beyond that, I think it gets hyper individualistic, um, because if you get that down the spiral, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I think it deals more than at that point with you as an individual and, and you dealing with insecurity and other things going on. Uh, it could be past hurts, past traumas, past things that are going on that really, uh, cause maybe, a, a, a abundance of insecurity in your life. And I think it gets too individual at that point. So like I said, I'm going I'm to bring this general approach today, but I want to know if you've ever felt inadequate before. Like, uh, you know, uh, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you, you work at it, you doubt yourself and you question if you're the right person for the job or you question if you're the right person uh, for your spouse, the right person for your family, the right person for your kids or, or the right person for your, your place of employment, whatever it may be. Uh, to be honest with you this morning, I'm going to open my heart to you uh, and, and expose an insecurity that I had um, and just be open because I think uh, to, for me to get up here and say, oh, I've never dealt with insecurity would be a lie. I stand up here today as someone who, as a pastor, has dealt with insecurity, dealing with it and learning how to overcome it. I'm, I'm just being transparent and open with you this morning. Um, specifically as a pastor, I've felt this insecurity creep up on my life and it's not what I want. And it's not what God has for me. And I believe the same for you, that it's not what you want. And I know that it's not what God has for you as well. Um, so again, um, we're going to dive into this. I want to share two stories. One is funny and the other one is serious. And it's me opening up. Like I said, I would, um, last year I shared this story on a Wednesday night. So if you were here, um, like two months ago on a Wednesday night, you've heard the story, but because I haven't shared it on a Sunday, that counts as me not being shared, not sharing it to the church yet as a whole. So if you were here for that Wednesday night, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about right away. Uh, but if you were not here that Wednesday night, then you're going to, this is brand new to you. So it's, it's new material for you. Uh, but anyways, last October I went hunting uh, with Brandon. We're actually leaving today uh, to get back up there and pray for us because apparently the Lord has not heard me this past week that we needed an elk and it didn't come. So 
pray because God's like, no, I'm not giving you an oak yet. So anyways, pray for us that we have success this upcoming week. That would be wonderful. Uh, but anyways, we're up on this ridge last October and it was beautiful. Like we got up there. He says we got there at like 5 a.m. I'm telling you right now, it was like three o'clock in the morning. It was earlier than early. And I'm up there and we, we found this tree and we, we go to sleep under this tree. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. I'm enjoying it. And uh, I wake up to the sunrise over this ridge and it's like three ridges coming together into this valley like just gorgeous like oh my gosh like if there's one benefit of hunting when you don't kill a thing at least you got to see the mountainside which is I mean absolutely amazing how God created all this stuff and we just, we just get to sit back and enjoy it and so we're, we wake up on this ridge and just beautiful views absolutely amazing and we're hunting for deer and so we're hanging out and I'm trying to be good like, this is my first time hunting. I am trying not to talk. I'm trying not to move. Like, just Stevie, shut up and be quiet. Like, I know that means the same thing, but man, just Stevie, don't do anything stupid is what I'm trying to tell myself, right? So a few hours go by and all of a sudden, Brandon goes, dude, a deer. Me, in my excitement, in my vulnerability, I jump up and I go, where? <laughs> Not thinking, oh, I'm supposed to be quiet right now. And no joke, that deer was like from like, I don't know, 75 yards away. I mean, just right, you could have thrown a rock and hit it. Like it was so close. It was insane. I probably can't do that. But anyways, I like to think I can. And that thing was so close and it just stopped. It looked at me with, the, you know, those, those deer and headlight eyes and it just hops over the ridge, gone, forever gone. <laughs> And there's only one way out of that ridge. Like we watched it for like two more hours. No, that thing disappeared into the abyss. I have no idea where it went, gone. And I was like, Brandon, I'm so sorry. Like I just totally ruined, that was your shot. That was all you. And I just ruined it for you. And so we were hunting this past week. We're up on the mountainside and I'm gonna do my absolute best. It was Friday morning. I'm not saying a word. I'm not doing nothing. I'm going to step where he steps because if he makes the noise, he can't get mad at me for making the same noise. So I'm, no, I'm, I'm being legit with you. Like I am like trying to be a good little boy on this mountainside on Friday morning, right? Trying not to mess anything up. We saw seven deer Friday. It was absolutely amazing. Can't shoot him till tomorrow. So again, pray for us. Anyways, we're up there and, and so we see these deer and he's trying to get me to come look at him. So he steps up on the, on the side of the ridge and I'm sitting there and he's like, come here. I was like, nope. I don't need to see the deer. I'm fine. If you see the deer, that's great. I don't need to see him. I don't. And he's like, no, come here. And so I take a step and I stop. I wait like no joke, five minutes. Take another step. And I'm just slowly creeping up to Brandon so I can get a, a sight of these deer as well. Because like I said, I don't want to mess up again. Do you think last year when I jumped up and I made this huge show of emotion on the side of the hill that I'm a little insecure this year when it comes to hunting? Yeah. I don't want to mess up. If someone's going to mess up on the mountain, it ain't going to be me. Well, to the best of my ability, it ain't going to be me, right? So do I have a little bit of insecurity when it comes to hunting? Yeah, I do. And hopefully this upcoming week, I will fully get over it and have a good time uh, out there on the side of the hill. However, there's another way that insecurities can arrive in your life. One, that's funny. That's, that's just insecurity that happens because you do something. But I think insecurity can also come when someone says something, just like Kristen was saying earlier during worship. A few months ago, I was at this thing and hanging out and I met some people there and they're like, hey, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm the executive pastor at our church. And man, I love what God is doing. We're having just a great time and God's doing really cool things in our church and in our people. And man, I'm just loving what, what, what's going on there. And their immediate response to me was, you seem really young to be a pastor. 
And, and I'm not going to lie. In this moment, and this is me being vulnerable, I was super insecure with what they said. I immediately took like a defensive position and I was like, oh, well, actually, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I, I've done my work. I've been to Bible college and then I was attending another Bible college in Southern California. And then now currently I'm still actually enrolled on, in an online Bible school because I still want to, you know, further my education for one, but also two, I'm, I'm stepping into my ordination. And I, I you know, I just, I believe that you should continually be learning and, and growing. And, and I was sad by that because Immediately, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of just whisper in my heart, oh, you, you qualified yourself for this. And I'm not going to lie, it, it kind of like made me step back for a second. It, luckily, the conversation changed, but my thoughts were stuck on it. And I sat there and I was like, God, I'm sorry. I, I don't think that I have qualified myself for this. He's like, well, it sounds like it. You're relying on what you did to be in the position that I put you in, Correct. And I was like, man, and I, I kind of just had this, I sat there in this moment, I'm surrounded by people and I'm kind of stuck in this conversation with God going, one, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I totally misread that. And it's my own insecurity that I took a defensive position rather than an offensive position of saying, actually, God called me to this. It has nothing to do with me. I'm sorry that you think I'm too young for this. However, God put a call in my life. And I tried other things. I, I, I worked in different areas. I worked in different industries. Nothing kind of seemed to click. And all of a sudden, when God opened a door and I said, okay, let's just see what happens. I stepped into it. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, I feel like I'm thriving. I feel like things are going right. And that was the evidence of I've stepped into what God has called me to. Right. I, I, I found a momentum. I found a strategy that I had not seen in my life until that time. And I know I, I'm doing what God called me to do. However... In that moment, I didn't rely on the call of God. I relied on my own abilities. And God's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this thing is going to work. Yeah. And that, that goes true whether you're a pastor or whether you're a dentist. Right. We don't rely on our abilities. We rely on who Jesus is and who he has said that we are. That is what gives us the confidence in moving forward. Maybe someone has looked at you. Maybe someone has said something just like Kristen said earlier to doubt what you're doing to doubt and to question if God has actually called you to this? You've been there, right? and that's what I felt in this conversation. I, I, I share both these stories again because I think insecurity can come in multiple facets and multiple arenas into our lives, whether by something we do or by something that is said to us, insecurity can arise inside of us. And as I started to study this out, I wanted to find an individual in the Bible who was insecure, someone who struggled with it greatly, and his name is Moses. Believe it or not, the man, the myth, the legend who separated the sea, yes, that Moses was very insecure. And we're going to look into this story today. So I'm gonna, I have to give a lot of backstory on Moses, and you'll see why I'm giving so much backstory on Moses as I get into it. But Moses was a Hebrew man who was born as a slave in Egypt. And at the time, the Hebrews had been slaves in Egypt for about 320 years. So Moses is generational, generational, generational slave. And so he grows up in this mindset, this arena, this area of slavery. That's who Moses is. He is a Hebrew slave. So let's pick up the story. Let's look at what's going on around the birth of Moses. Exodus chapter 2, a few verses here. It says this, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. 
His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to the bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And when she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, this, she's actually talking to the mom of Moses now, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. We kind of know the story. If, you're from, if you've grown up in church or been around church, you've heard the story of Moses. And what eventually ends up happening is as Moses is an older man, about 40 years old, he attacks an Egyptian soldier who had hit an Hebrew slave, and he actually killed the soldier. And so to cover it up, he buries him in the sand and hopes that nobody will find out. However, word gets to Pharaoh that Moses killed an Egyptian soldier. And so Pharaoh is now looking to kill Moses, put him to death. So Moses runs away to a land called Midian. And while he's in Midian, he finds a wife named Zipporah. He, and through his father-in-law, he gets a job as a shepherd. And he's hanging out in the land of Midian for about 40 years. And then all of a sudden, God appears to Moses at 80 years old in a burning bush. And Moses turns aside to look at this bush because he's amazed by it. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so he's astonished. He walks over to the bush. And that is when he meets with God for the first time, according to scripture. And God calls to him. He says, take your, feet, take your shoes off. You can't take your feet off. Take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. Let's pick up right there. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, from that land, to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt." So God calls Moses at 80 years old. He says, hey man, I have use of you. You are gonna go and deliver my people from Egypt, from the hand of slavery, and they're gonna experience freedom in the land of Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's gonna be awesome. However, there is one really, really, really big issue. Again, Moses is insecure. And so Moses, we're gonna get into his responses and his rebuttals in just a minute. But before we do, we have to understand something about insecurity before we move on. Insecurity has a root. We see this in the life of Moses. The root of insecurity is a lack of identity. If you don't know who you are, you are gonna struggle with insecurities. That is foundational. If you don't understand that, then none of the rest of the sermon is going to make sense. The root of insecurity is a lack of identity. Do you realize how important you are to God? Let's brag on how amazing and wonderful and unique God has made you. Not to brag on how cool you are, but on how amazing God is. Never in all of history, all of human history, has God had the opportunity to work with someone like you with your abilities, with your gift set, and with your connections, God has never had that before. And he only has it while you're alive on earth. You see how important relationships are now? Because the connections that you have with people are potentially the only connection they may have with someone who knows God. Right. Yeah. You are so important to God. And he only has you while you're alive here on earth. 
And the moment we step into eternity, he no longer has your gift sets, he no longer has your abilities, and he no longer has your connections. That's how important you are to God. That's how important it is for you to walk in your calling. And this is why it's so important that we must be free from insecurity. Because God has a purpose and a plan for you, and it is just for you. He's never going to have the opportunity again. He has right now, with you in mind, to reach this world, to reach this generation. You are what he's going to use to reach these people. So the problem doesn't lie with God. The problem lies with us. Do we know who we are? Because if we lack identity, again, we will suffer with insecurity. So let's look at the reason I've said everything up to this point. Let's look at Moses and the hard upbringing that he had, which caused him to lack an identity, which caused him to suffer with insecurity. He was a Hebrew slave. He was sent down the river to die by his own mom, only to be found and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, to grow up and realize that he wasn't an Egyptian, to be hunted by the Egyptians, to be rejected by the Hebrews. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he belongs. Talk about an identity crisis. He is by himself. And now he lives in a land called Midian that he's never been to before. He's just there. He ran away. He didn't know where to go, so he just ran east or west. I don't know where Midian is compared to Egypt, but he ran. So he calls Moses from this burning bush, and his immediate response is one of insecurity. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go and stand before Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He continues, and he says, What if they question me on who sent me? God says, Tell them that I am that I am sent you. Okay, that's great, but what if they still don't believe me? Just reason after reason after reason why he should not be the guy. God says, take the staff in your hand, throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Moses sees a miracle happen right in front of him, yet still he has his questions of insecurity. Who am I that I should go and stand before Pharaoh and the people of God? God's looking at him going, I'm sorry, we're getting a little feedback. I apologize. God's saying, man, you are the perfect candidate. You are the one who was born a Hebrew, raised by Egyptians. There's no one who has the connections like you have. God has use of Moses, but Moses only has excuses. And in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 16, Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have, been I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses was kind of like the uh, Forrest Gump of the Old Testament. <laughs> he was slow of speech and slow of tongue. Life is like a box of chocolates, Right? He's slow of speech, he's slow of tongue, he's embarrassed by it, he's insecure about it. Actually, if you listen to my voice, you'll actually notice I have a slight speech impediment too. It's really bad. I broke my jaw when I was a kid, and some sounds, just, they just merge together as one. It's just it's a reality that I have. I'm really insecure about it, and I've never said it from a platform. There you go, okay? <laughs> I have a slight speech impediment, I'm a little insecure about it. I can relate to Moses right now really good. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, the Lord, will be with your mouth, and I will personally teach you what you are to say. But Moses said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. He's going, I'm trying. You are whomever I will. You are the one I will for this. And Moses has excuses. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. 
He shall speak to the people for you and he will be as a mouth for you and you will be as God to him. God's plan was never to use Aaron. Aaron had a plan already. Aaron had a call of God in his life. He was a Levite priest. He already had direction from God and what he was doing with his life. But Moses' own insecurities changed the plans of Aaron's life. Aaron was supposed to be involved with these conversations with Pharaoh. Aaron wasn't supposed to stand before the people of Israel and give out commands and orders to lead them. That was Moses' call. But Moses' orders were to go to Egypt and set the people of God free. And he did that with him and Aaron. They would stand in front of Pharaoh and they'd call down these nine plagues upon Egypt. You know the story of the nine plagues, I'm sure of it. We've all heard about it. You don't even need to go to church to hear about the nine plagues of Egypt. We all have heard about the nine plagues of Egypt. And Moses were always together performing these plagues until they weren't. Because Moses found freedom from insecurity during these plagues. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit here. But Aaron was finally released from this burden after Moses found freedom. And I want to talk today, like I said, about these four points. I call it the insecurity spiral. And level one, I think, is something we all deal with. Level two is really a good indication that you are struggling with insecurity. And by the time we get to level three, level four, that's really our coping mechanism of how we can deal with and and, and how we're going to struggle through insecurities. Again, these are as general as I can be uh, because I think there's a lot of individualistic traits on the inside of us uh, as I get into this that, hey, it may not necessarily apply to you, but... uh, In a general sense, these apply to people who struggle with insecurity. So when we are like Moses, when we lack an identity, our insecurity will surface. And number one on the spiral, we will lose confidence in our abilities. That is hands down number one level uh, of of insecurity. Every single one of us deals with this level. I, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how new you are to Christianity. I don't care if you've been in a job and retired from it or if you're brand new to a job. Every single one of us will doubt our abilities one time or another. That is, that is normal. What is not normal and what insecurity breeds is when it becomes uh, a place of an opportunity arises and the first reaction is an excuse. That's when insecurity is surfacing. So yes, we're all going to doubt abilities from time to time. However, it becomes insecurity when opportunity comes and all I have is excuses, just like Moses. All he had was excuses of why he shouldn't do it, right? We, we all doubt abilities, but it's when excuses become the norm for you. That is an indicator of insecurity in your life. Oh, I, I could just never be as good as this person. You know, I've tried that before and it, it didn't go too well. Or, or, you know, I'd love to do that, but I just don't think I'm ready. These are all indicators of insecurity because you're coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And so if every opportunity that comes your way, if you are finding an excuse, you are probably insecure about it. Now, I'm not trying to sound harsh. I'm just being honest this morning. See, Moses had lost confidence in his abilities. Why? Let's, let's look at the life of Moses. He was raised in his early adolescent years by his mom, a Hebrew, so what language did they speak in the house? Hebrew. All of a sudden, he's thrown into Pharaoh's palace and he has to learn ancient Egyptian? That's a challenge. I don't know about you, but I've seen those hieroglyphics. They don't look like letters. That'd be hard, okay? So just think about it now. Rationally think about Moses' early childhood years. Speaking Hebrew and now all of a sudden has to speak perfect ancient Egyptian because he's a prince of Egypt now. That's a challenge for a young kid to have to learn those many languages. Is there a speech impediment involved in that? 
you can look at that naturally and just say, well, yeah, of course. This is why Moses is the Forrest Gump of the Old Testament. This is why he had a problem with speech. He grew up speaking two different languages in his very early years. He had a hard time with it, right? This, this was me in my conversation the other day or a couple months ago, whenever it was, and I'm trying to defend who I am. I'm trying to rely on what I can do rather than rely on his calling on my life. Moses did the same exact thing. Number two on the spiral, you have a loss of belonging. This is the scary part and the realisticness of, I don't even know if that's a word, but this is the reality of struggling with insecurity. You will lose your sense of belonging. Who and where do I belong with? Moses said, who am I that I should go and stand before Pharaoh? Again, Moses, you're the perfect candidate. Raised Egyptian, raised Hebrew. You have the connections that God needs to one, confront Pharaoh and to lead my people from, to freedom. You, when, you, when you lose your sense of belonging, you're going to walk around life not knowing who you're to be with. You're not going to know where you're supposed to be. You will lose your sense of place. You will spend your life with very few friends, very few people. And I'm not talking about introverts versus extroverts. Uh, introverts need space and time. Any introverts in the room, you're probably afraid to hold your hand up, right? Yeah, there they are. There they are. Okay. Any extroverts in the room? That's me. Yeah. You see extroverts are like, yep, that's me. They ain't afraid to raise their hand. Right? But I'm not talking about introverts versus extroverts. What I'm talking about is insecure versus not insecure. An insecure person hates feeling alone. An introvert loves being alone. There's a difference. Introverts like to be alone, but insecure people hate feeling alone. They walk around and they feel, they can be in the big crowd, yet they still feel, they can be in conversation, but they still feel alone. That is the reality of insecurity. And the natural way that we are designed by God is to want to be involved, to want to help other people, even insecure or even uh, introverted people make an impact on people's lives. And I found it true for me that if God has called me to thrive and be in my place, when I'm not thriving, it's probably because I'm trying to force something. I'm trying to force something where I don't belong, where I'm not called to. And look, I believe in hard work. I do not believe in forcing something. I believe that we should show up to work on tomorrow morning and give it all we've got. We should earn the paycheck. We should give every ounce of energy we have because it's unto the Lord, not unto our taskmasters, as the Bible says. It's unto the Lord. So we should show up and say, man, I'm ready to do this for him today. I'm ready to work. I believe in working hard. I don't believe in forcing it. Amen. There's a difference. Let me give you an example. Uh, I love working with like, two by fours and, and, and wood and everything and buildings on it. I love it. I think it's wonderful. I suck at it, but it's awesome, right? I, I totally enjoy it. And, I, and whenever I'm trying to force something, like say you make a cut on a two by four and it just doesn't fit the way it's supposed to, right? My natural thing is like, oh, just grab the mallet. Let's do this thing. Like, let's, let's go to town and just bang that puppy into submission. Let's go. When really I should probably go back to the, the, the miter saw and take another blade off, right? I should probably just, just, just enough to get it to fit in there just right. But when I, it doesn't fit just right, I always try to force it and I always break it. Like I have not learned. I don't know what is wrong with me. People live and learn. I, I don't. I, I just keep on trying to just, I'm going to force that thing. I'm going to hit it with a mallet and it's going gonna, it's gonna to go in there, man. And it's going to work. It's going to be good. Yet, yeah, no, I always break it. Always. Every single thing happened to me yesterday. I was, 
I was trying to put a little wood spacer between this little two by four and a, and a, and a, a PVC pipe. And I was like, I don't need to pre-drill the hole. I'll just put the screw in there. I mean, it's, it's going to be great. Yep, I split the wood. I broke it. I didn't even tell Kristen yet. There it is, Kristen. I'm sorry. I, I split it. It, it just it happens. Like, man, it's just whenever I try to force something, it breaks. But when I take my time and I go the extra mile on the hard work, it always works. It, always, it works out perfectly. That's how we should approach life. We should be hardworking, not forcing life to happen. We should enjoy the work that we do to engage this life. So Moses had lost where he belongs. He wasn't sure if it was with the Hebrews who rejected him, with the Egyptians who wanted to kill him, or in the land of Midian where he felt like a foreigner. And I can prove this to you scripturally that Moses had lost his place of belonging. His names were a big deal in the Old Testament times. And he, this shows you that I'm not speculating a thing about Moses in a place of belonging. Moses married his wife Zipporah and he had a firstborn son. He named his son Gershom. You know what Gershom means? It basically means nomad or gypsy. A place, a someone who's living in the land they don't belong in. So Moses is sitting there and get this now, He's projecting his loss of belonging on his offspring, his own kids. He's taking the insecurity of saying, I have no place that I belong. And guess what, Gershom, neither do you because I've lost it. You're not gonna have it either. Time is beyond us today to talk about how we pass our own insecurities onto our children. Don't get me started going on that. That's a whole nother sermon just in and of itself. Talk about a generational thing going on in your life. Are you passing on insecurities like Moses to your kids? Oh, honey, you'll, you'll never be able to do that. Oh, sweetheart, you'll never have the opportunity to do that. Oh, you should give up on that now. It's not gonna happen. And we crush the dream, the desire, the, the vision that God has put in their life because of our own insecurities. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Let's not be like Moses and call our son, our daughter, a nomad. Here's a hint if you've lost your place of belonging. When you find yourself complaining about every area of your life, it's because you're trying to fit into something that you were not created to fit into. Are you complaining about every area of your life? Is that what you're doing? Because if you are, that's a good indicator that you have lost your sense of belonging. And next, what happens after our identity is crushed, we doubt our abilities, we, we build up a coping mechanism. Now, this part we do not see in Moses, but this is where my study came in to make sure I am really on par with understanding what I'm talking about today. We don't, again, we don't see this in Moses, but I'd be amiss to not share this today. Number three on this spiral, we build up pride. And this is a pride that we develop on the inside of us to impress other people, to prove something of why we are who we are, why we should be doing what we're doing. And we do it through comparison. This is where it gets really scary, really complicated for an insecure person because we start to act like we're really great at something. Like we've got, or, or multiple things. It doesn't have to be one thing, just multiple things. Just every area of our life, things are just fantastic and great and amazing. And, and we do it subtly, but we do it out loud. What we do is we insult other people because we want other people to look at us and go, wow, they must really know what they're talking about. But in our insults, all we've done is expose ourselves. We think we're covering it up. In reality, all we're doing is really opening the door and people are going, wow, you're really insecure about that. Like if you have to look at everyone and go, if they would have done it my way, if that's what we're saying, we are exposing our insecurities. If they would have done it the way that I said they should do it, that wouldn't have happened. 
That's a really good indicator that you are struggling with insecurity. This is the bully phase. That's what this is. This is the bully phase. This is the classic schoolyard playground bully. And when you think about everything I've said today, and you think about that playground bully, how hard it was for that little kid, when you really start thinking about it, bullies have very few friends, and they probably have a really hard home life. And you start putting things together and going, I do see why a bully is insecure. They lack an identity and they, lo- and they lack a place of belonging. And all of a sudden, it starts understanding why the bully is the way they are. That little five-year-old kid who's a bully at school, it, it starts to make sense. When you start looking at Moses, you start looking at that. And then even as adults, we sometimes are the playground bully at work. We're playground bully with family, with friends. We insult to make ourselves feel better in our own pain. It's the only way we can, we can make ourselves feel better is to put someone else down. In the story of Moses, like I said, we don't see this phase, but man, I, I, I want to confront it today and say, no, man, like we, we cannot be the person insulting other people. And then when they have success, we insult them even more. Then we just come up with, number one, excuses as to why we don't have success. Oh, well, yeah, if I had the money they had, I'd, I'd be able to do that too. Or man, you know, if, if I, you know, had this or was able to do that, man, I'd totally do it better than them. It is, it is classic insecurity at its finest. And then what, it, what comes to after that is this presumptuous attitude, this arrogance of a know-it-all. And you speak out and you, you act like you know everything about everything. Anybody know a know-it-all? Yeah, I, I, know, I, I know some know-it-alls. I've, I've had my encounters with some know-it-alls. I myself can be a know-it-all at times because of my own insecurity. Again, I'm just being vulnerable and open today to step back and say, no, nah, I just, I don't know it all. Thank God I don't know it all. But we think, our hidden, uh, we, we think we're hidden in our pride mechanism that we're doing to cope with this. But all we've done is expose ourselves. We dish it, but we can't take it. And because we can't take it, we can't admit our faults. That's a classic bully. No, I didn't do that. See, to an insecure person, admitting a fault or admitting a mistake breaks down the wall of pride that I'm trying to convey to other people. If I admit that I messed up, then I'm not strong. I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm fragile. When you're insecure, you believe that I am a mistake instead of I made a mistake. And there's a big difference. Because when you start saying, I am a mistake, you're going right back to your identity issue, the foundation of who you are, and you're saying that that identity is, is a mistake. No person, no human, no baby, no adult is a mistake. We are all created, hand-formed by God in heaven. There is no such thing as a human mistake. We are all called by God. We have a purpose from him. He loves us. He died for every single one of us so that we could live No, I am not a mistake. You are not a mistake, but we do make a lot of mistakes. Does not make us a mistake. It just means that we made a mistake. How do you find freedom in this this phase uh, of of the bully phase or um, or number three? How how do you you find freedom in this area? Start to apologize. Just start apologizing. Saying I'm sorry not only heals the person who's hurt, it sets you free from an impossible pressure that you're holding on for yourself. I, I have to be perfect. I can't mess up. I can't do Nobody is going to do that. Nobody can do that. Right. Stop holding that pressure over yourself. Make a habit of exposing when you drop the ball. Hey, guys, my bad. Messed up. I'm going to make sure I, I review that and make sure I don't let it happen again in the future. 
Expose yourself when you drop the ball. Let me tell you right now, there is more grace in admitting a mistake than pretending to others that you didn't make a mistake. There's a whole lot more grace in just saying, my bad, rather than just saying, oh, what? I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's no mistake there. There's no, no, there's no problem. It's all fine. There's a whole lot more grace when you can just say, my bad. Apologize and move on. You will find freedom in this phase of insecurity. Number four is when you take your own level of pride, your own level of expectations, and you put it on other people. You have high expectations of other people. This is the fourth and the final area, the spiral that I'm going to go down of insecurity. And what this does is it gives you permission now to blame others for your unhappiness. You're unhappy with life. You need a reason to say why you're unhappy. Oh, I can just blame the next guy. I'm unhappy because of them. I have unrealistic expectations of others. They can never reach those level of expectations, so that's why I'm unhappy, rather than just taking personal responsibility for my own emotions, right? How do we expose, how do we learn if this is the situation we are in? If you are married, here's the easiest way to see. Uh-oh, yeah, here we go. This is the easiest way to see if this type of attitude is in our hearts. If they loved me, they would know what I want and what I needed. If my wife, if my husband loved me, they would know what I want and what I needed. And we put this high expectation with zero communication and we expect them to reach that level. We, they will never reach that level. That, that is the highest level of expectation you can put on someone. If they loved me, they would know what I want and what I needed in this marriage. No. If you love them, you will tell them what you want and need in marriage and communicate it to them and leave it in their hands. You will set them up for success. You will not shy away and just expect them to reach some level of expectation, which is unrealistic probably anyways. You communicate it, you leave it in their hands, but you communicate it. That's setting your spouse up for success. Otherwise, you're taking an insecure approach to marriage. See, I used to think it was my wife's job to make me happy in marriage. We first got married, I was young and dumb. I'm still dumb, I'm just a little older. <clears throat> right? But I used to think, oh, it's Kristen's job. If she wants me to be happy in this marriage, then she needs to know what I want and what I need. It's, that's her job. That is such a wrong and unhealthy approach to marriage. If I want to have a healthy marriage, I need to provide my wife with a healthy and happy husband. And I need to stand by her side. I need to provide her with that. It's not her job to make me happy. It's my job to cultivate a heart of happiness and joy and to provide her with a husband who doesn't need emotional baggage coming into the life. No, she does not need that, nor do I. Your job as a spouse is to provide your own happiness and provide your spouse with the healthy and happy mindset. Not for them to make you happy. Release others of your unrealistic expectations. Give them the freedom you so desperately want. You know you can't reach those levels of expectations. Don't expect others to as well. Let me tell you right now, this whole insecurity spiral, all four of these things can be solved in two simple answers. The first one is the great commandment. Love others as you love yourself. If you would just love other people, you won't lie to them with pride. You won't hold expectations over their heads. You won't pretend that you didn't make a mistake. You'll admit it and you'll love them and you'll be with them even when they make a mistake. Overcome insecurity by loving other people. And the final thing, this solving this insecurity spiral, find out who you are in Christ. 
This Bible has so many explanations of who you are in him. Not apart from him, in him. If I would just take the time to look and see what Jesus has said about me, I'll understand who I am. Let me tell you right now, there is freedom. There is so much freedom from this, it's absolutely insane. So let's get back to the story of Moses, and I'll do my absolute best to wrap this up in a way that makes sense to everyone. How do we overcome? We have to learn from Moses. Moses and Aaron head to Egypt, going back to our story here now, and they say, and they sing in the movie, uh, Let My People Go, right? And Pharaoh says, Thank you, thank you, no. And Pharaoh says, no, absolutely not. I got a whole bunch of free labor here. No way these Hebrews are going anywhere. They're building all this stuff for me. Nope, sorry. Uh, find another way, Moses. Find another way, Aaron. It ain't happening. And so they get there and they, they perform these nine plagues. Well, the first five plagues is as God said. Moses, tell Aaron to say this, and then Aaron's gonna say it, and then Aaron's gonna hold up his staff, and then a plague is gonna happen. It's gonna be amazing, right? So they go and they, they do these first five plagues. And like I said, Aaron would stretch out his hands, he'd throw a staff down, he'd say something, and a plague would happen. On the sixth plague, though, it's a little different. Moses and Aaron are not in front of Pharaoh. Moses, the way that the text reads, it almost seems like Moses is by himself. Probably just in his tent, just hanging out, chilling like a villain, I don't know. But he's, he's just chilling there. And so... God says, hey, Moses, um, if you would just raise your hands, I'm going to drop a whole bunch of, like, hail on, on Egypt. Just ice is just going to cover Egypt everywhere. I just need you to, like, raise your hands. And Moses probably sitting there just like, there's no one around, but okay. There you go, God. And then what happens? Ice just covers all of Egypt. Hail from heaven just falls, and it is just covering Egypt in ice, right? So that's the sixth plague. On the seventh plague, though, Moses and Aaron go and stand before Pharaoh Aaron speaks because Moses is still talking like Forrest Gump, right? However, for the first time, according to scripture, Moses holds up the staff and then the plague happens. Aaron spoke, but Moses now in front of Pharaoh around people, Moses is the one holding up his staff. They go back and God's like, okay, Moses, like, great job, dude. You held up your staff in front of Pharaoh. That's bold, bro. Like, I'm probably just building Moses up, honestly. Like, Moses, you did it. But on the eighth plague, something entirely new takes place. Aaron is not mentioned in the text. Look at this. Exodus chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand, and there was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt for three days. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Remember this sentence. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to him, not them. He's speaking directly to Moses. Get away from me. Beware. Do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said... All of a sudden, Moses is now talking to Pharaoh, and he says this, You are right. I shall never see your face again. Who is this bold dude who's standing up and telling Pharaoh he'll never do something? I don't know about you, but you don't tell, tell a Pharaoh that he's not going to do something. That's giving Pharaoh a command. You don't give the Pharaoh a command. However, speech impediment, Forrest Gump, Moses does. He says, no, actually, you'll never see my face again. Who is this bold cat who's standing up and declaring faithfully what God has spoken to him? Who is this dude? Someone who's overcome insecurity. 
Someone who was bold enough and brave enough to face his fears, hold up his staff one day in front of someone, take it a next step. God's like, hey man, if I turn the lights off, will you speak for me? If no one can see what you're doing because of my works, will you be focused on me because they're going to be focused on me? Will, will you be bold when nobody can see you because they're focused on my works? See, in that moment, Moses found this freedom. He could boldly declare God's words to Pharaoh and boldly hold his staff up. He was for it now. Let me tell you right now, if people are looking at the works of God, they aren't looking at me. That is the freedom of insecurity right there. If I can just do the works of God, people won't have time to think about me. Really, they're not thinking about me anyways. They got their own things that they're thinking about. Stop thinking that everyone's thinking about you. You're not that important. People don't sit there and think about you all day long. Oh my gosh, did you see what she was wearing? Ew. No! They don't have time to think about you. You don't have time to think about them. What, what clogs your mind up is thinking about yourself, which causes insecurity. But if people are looking at what God is doing through my life, they really have zero time to look at me. All they, all they look around and see is, wow, God's doing something here. Pharaoh was so focused on the works of God that he wasn't thinking about Moses' speech impediment. Moses found freedom during this final plague. Again, Aaron is unmentioned in the ninth plague. And for the remainder of Moses' life, read the book of Exodus. It always says, Moses spoke to the people for God. Aaron spoke one more time publicly, it looks like. And he made a golden calf and said, this is Yahweh. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Aaron went sideways real quick. Okay. But Moses is the one who spoke to the people for God. I'm curious, and this is my own thought process as I look at this text, as I study this out. It says over and over again that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't say that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It says God hardened his heart. Like God is the one causing Pharaoh's heart to be hard. And I wonder, I just pause and I sit there and I think, I wonder if God had to wait until he had a leader who was ready to lead his people free from insecurity. And until that moment, he had to keep Pharaoh's heart hard. My question to you today, is God waiting to release something in your life because of your insecurity? Is he? Is there something that God's saying, man, I would love to open this door for you, but all you've had is excuses. I would love for you to step into this, but man, all you've done is complain. I would love for you to go into this and step into this so boldly, but all you've done is lie to people. All you've done is pretend that you're perfect. I, I don't have time for it. I need my people free from insecurity. Is God withholding something in your life because you've been insecure? We are to find our identity in him to find freedom from this insecurity I'm talking about today. In him, we find our place of belonging. In him, we find our confidence of doing his will. In him, we stop questioning who we are and start questioning more about finding who he is. Colossians chapter three, verse three. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, insecurity is caused from a lack of identity. Do you know who you are? Where to find that in Jesus. Let me show you how every single one of us in this room are, are insecure. Every single one of us. What is the price to get to heaven? Remove Jesus from the equation for just one second. What is the price to get to heaven? Perfection. Thank you. Yes, perfection. It's perfection. 
I don't know about you, but it takes us all about two months to learn selfishness after being born. If that. <laughs> it, takes about, it takes about an hour. <laughs> when you don't get what you want, you cry <laughs> right away. <laughs> I mean, we were all born crying anyway. So perfection is out the window. Right from the moment you're born, perfection is out the window. So none of us can be perfect, which means every single one of us are insecure when it comes to getting to heaven. However, a man named Jesus came 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, was perfect as a human, rose from the dead, and has remained perfect for these 2,000 some years since that moment. And he's offering you perfection as a free gift. Because you can't do it. We're insecure when it comes to this. None of us can be perfect, but God is saying, no, 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 you're, you're in this room today. You're, you're watching online. I don't know where you are, but God is saying, no, 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 I'll be perfect for you. I will step into your insecurity for you and provide for you that which you cannot provide for yourself. Today, I believe that God is calling you son. He's calling you daughter. I saw four people raise their hand in first service and say, that is me. I need to give my life to Jesus today. And I'm wondering if in this second service or watching online, if there's more people would say, you know what? Yes, I need the free gift of perfection that comes from God so I can be released from the insecurity of what happens to me after I die. God is asking you to come home today. He's saying, you, you son, daughter, you, you need identity. Well, as your father in heaven, I can provide that for you. Would, would you just come home today is what he's saying. Would you find your identity today and be, break free from this type of insecurity on your life? He's here to heal hurts. He's here to heal, heal brokenness. He's here to provide for you that which you cannot provide for yourself. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead for you to give you that very same all-powerful life that cannot be taken away from you. With every head bowed, every eye closed across this room, can you do me a favor? If that's you this morning and you want to repent of your sin, you want to turn to Jesus and declare him as Lord of your life today and break free from insecurity, can you do me a favor and raise your hand really quick, please? No one's looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Here's what I'm going to do. As a family, can we repeat these words after me say, Father in heaven, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask that you would come into my life, change me, and I'm going to turn from the ways I've been doing. I'm going to follow you, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to serve you. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, and I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we lift up a shout of praise, hand clap for those people? How amazing God is.